Welcome to Control the Controllables. My name is John McGahan from Max Tennis Academy in Ireland, and I'm here with my co-host, Dan Kiernan from Soto Tennis in Spain. Together we have created a podcast, bringing some of the top tennis athletes and tennis coaches from across the globe together. We hope you enjoy our next episode. Welcome to episode 56 of Control the Controllables. Today we have Kieran Vorster. Kieran was Wayne Ferreira and Tim Henman's strength and conditioning coach back in the day. And now he is responsible for the fitness levels of Dan Evans. Kieran does a great job. He's got a great story, which is well worth listening to. Uh, At this point, I I do want to mention that there is a couple of bad words in the podcast, just for any parents listening. Um, uh, We do apologise for that, but Kieran is raw. It's what makes him as good as he is. And I also apologise for a couple of noises in the background. Uh, We've got to laugh. These podcasts are raw. And every now and then there was a dog. (laughs) Every now and then there was a squeaky table that he had his elbows on. Uh, But it doesn't take away from the fantastic insight that he gives. And I'm sure you're all going to absolutely love it. Thank you again for all your ratings, your reviews. Much appreciated. And enjoy the show. So, Kieran Vorster, a big welcome to Control the Controllables. How are you doing? Good, and you guys? Thanks for having me on the show. Well, it's, it's good to have you. So, myself and John here, Kieran. Uh, as as is tradition with the the podcast, a little introduction to Kieran. Um, coach Wayne Ferreira back in the day, and a Davis Cup coach for South Africa. And then moved on to someone who we all know in the UK, Tim Henman, as his strength and conditioning coach. And I know spent a few years working for the for the LTA as well. Um, before then working out in Qatar, where he spent spent a few years. And I know recently you've been working as a consultant at University of Baylor. And now, as lots of you will know, is now the fitness coach of, of Dan Evans. So lots, lots to talk about, Kieran. Um, lots of things that we can jump into, but I guess to start with, where did this whole mad journey start many a year ago? Yeah, so for me, um, first and foremost, thanks for having me on the show. Um, it started back when I was eight years old, living in Malawi, um, small small town, a small country in um, in Africa. I always wanted to play pro tennis, so for me, it was about um, what can I do to get on the tour. Um, I made that decision when I was like ten years old. Um, but in Malawi, we, we didn't have live TV. So I, I had uh, videos and um, one of the video uh, cassettes I had was Charles Applewhite um, on an Ivan Lendl um, uh, tutorial that I, and Lendl was my idol at that time. So I used to, I used to watch videos of Lendl, then go out uh, onto the courts in Malawi with a ball boy, because I didn't have a hitting partner, and they'd throw balls at me you know, and I'll tell them where I wanted to hit the balls. And then, uh, you know, I did forehands, backhands, volleys, smashes, whatever. And that, that took me through probably um, eight years, eight years of, of my um, introduction to tennis. So it took me to about 16. Um, but ironically, when in my young years, I, I'm a left-hander. So I used to play, I used to serve right-handed, but play left-handed tennis. And then when I went um, down to Johannesburg, when I was 16, to see a coach, a guy called Mickey Styles, he quickly changed me to 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 basically saying you need to you need to serve left-handed. So I served hundreds and hundreds of balls on a day-to-day basis for me to get, you know, to to play um, to, to serve left-handed. Um, and then I'm basically did my GCSEs in Malawi and then flew down to South Africa. And for my last two years of juniors, I. Um, was in South Africa playing junior tennis. And believe in me, when I say this, quote, unquote, I was shit. But I had the vision of wanting to be a pro tennis player. And that's, that's, that, that for me was in my head. And then um, basically, uh, when I finished my last year under 18 juniors, I had um, a family friend of ours, uh, Pam and Bushy Holsworth, 
that were willing to sponsor me to to take me overseas um and my first overseas satellite in those days so it was before futures my first satellite was was in portugal and um i was rooming with neville godwin robbie kunick and john luffney diago joey de beer was on on that uh, as well so joey de beer then went on to to become a physiotherapist and work with tim and he's he's now head of sports science in, in australia the, the satellite in Portugal was a open qualifying draw. There were 256 qualifiers for eight spots. And in qualifying in, in that particular tournament was Evgeny Kafelnikov, Jonas Bjorkman, um, and then you had your usual suspects. So you had Will, Chris Wilkinson, you had Colin Beecher, you had Sean Cole. Um, and, you know, obviously, you know, I lost first round. Um, Kafanikov qualified, Bjorkman qualified. And then a couple of months later, I went to Tampa, uh, sorry, I went to Florida. And so I played in Boca, same, same kind of principle. So it was open qualifying. Kafanikov was there again with his coach Anatoly. Ended up playing qualies in all the events, but obviously Yevgeny then went on, you know, won, won the events. And a year later, so, you know, we're going 92, 93. So 94, he was top 50. Uh, you know, Kafanikov was, uh, uh, Bjorkman was, Top, top hundred at the time, and then you know, obviously in '96, uh, Kafanikov won his in inaugural Grand Slam, you know, uh, at the French Open. And so for me, earlier on, it it, it was more it was more about um, I love the sport, I love what I do, but I'm really shit at playing tennis, and I, I need to if I want to stay in the sport without grabbing funding from 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 anybody. But, the reality is, is like my reality was like if you're going to qualify as a lawyer, but you're going to, you know, run at a loss a year, then you need to change your profession. So, yeah. you know, I went into coaching, and um, in in my earlier years, Kevin Curran was a a great um, mentor to me, um, based in Austin, and he introduced me to uh, Warren Jakes, who was the performance director of the LTA. And then he had a, like a private club in, in Wimbledon that um, I eventually started coaching there. And my first coaching job, which was in 93, 94, I was on 125 pounds a week. So I was earning 500 pounds a month. And I was working from 8.30 till six, Monday to Friday. Um, and then basically things, things evolved from that. And then, you know, what I, what I did was, was look into what was the niche in the market and the niche in the market at that time was tra training the guys physically on the court rather than technically on the court. So yep. at that time, there's a lot of uh, South Africans, a lot of uh, Zimbos that were based here. So Wayne Black, Byron Black was based here. Petey Norval, Neil Broad um, were, were based here. Kevin Elliott was based here. David Nankin was coming in and out. So I had a good stable of guys that you know I, I was able to um, call upon on a regular basis that I was able to um, do all their all, all their on-court stuff, but it was more from a physical point of view. And so then I took the opportunity with a niche in the market of of doing a sports massage course, which I did in London. But then things things kind of like went really really quiet. And at the time, I was working at the Harbour Club, which was at that time Lady Diana was was a member there. And so we had all the paparazzi on, on a daily basis with the ladders, you know, looking over, looking, looking for her and stuff. I had one funny encounter with her, which was, you know, she um, came into the tennis office and I was sitting in the tennis office and she went, oh, do you mind if I make a call? And I was trying to be pretty cool. And I was like, yeah, just down line for an outside line. Um, Prince Harry and William were having a lesson outside. And she looked up at me and she went, do you mind if you leave the room? I was like, yeah, yeah, sure. And, and then, so I left the room and anyway, she made a call and she came out and she went just, you know, apologies for that, you know, but I was, you know, I'm, I'm quite paranoid on people, you know, listening to my conversations. So yeah, that was one, one funny story. And then um, at the end of 2006, I was ready to, to quit everything that I was doing here in, in, in London and then uh, head back, head back to South Africa and just coach. And then those guys, you know, uh, P.D. Norval, Neil Broad, Kevin Allen, David Nankin, they bought me a ticket to, to fly down to Cape Town because Wayne Ferrer at that time had just fired his fitness coach and God bless his soul, Walt Landers, who was, who, he, was, he was unbelievable. 
you know, um, a really good massage therapist, but he passed away um, for a trial. So, you know, I went down in Cape, to Cape Town. I had no prospects, I had, you know, nothing on the line. Um, and then basically, um, I did a three-week trial with Wayne Ferreira. And at the end of the three weeks in 96, he said, hey, you know, what are you doing next year? I said, well, I'm doing nothing. He said, hey, do you fancy starting in Scottsdale, which was like the end of February? So I was like, yeah, sure, you know, let's do it. And then Jeremy Bates was like, you know, do you want to work with the LTA, you know, traveling with, with some players? And I said, look, I've taken this job with, with Wayne, but I'll do, I'll do January in Portugal. And that was with Will Herbert, Martin Lee, Arvin Palmer, and Luke Milligan. Um, and then like a couple of weeks later, at the time, Wayne's coach, which, who was Donnie Visser, who was a great doubles player, number one in the world, top 50 singles, said, you know, would you be interested in, you know, working with the South African Davis Cup team? And I was like, yeah, so, I mean, this is, this is like, like great. And so, you know, from going down there with no prospects and, and within a month, you know, I had, I kind of had my whole thing set up, you know, what I was going to do, you know, you know, working with Wayne, working with South African Davis Cup. And then, you know, I had, I had the LTA for, for a month going, you know, to cover me in January. So, that's kind of how my, my career started. It's such a good story, Vozzy. And, and do you think, it, it can't, I can't help thinking, you know, I, I've known you for years, and, and I guess one thing that comes to mind with you is you're tough. You know, you, you know you've got a tough character. You know, you've obviously worked very hard in, in your life. Do you, do you think in some ways you actually gained an advantage on having quite a tough upbringing and, and gratitude to, to be able to play the sport or, you know, what's your reflection on that? Um, yeah, I, th I think, I think, um, yeah, I don't, I don't suffer fools. And, and I think, you know, you know, when I'm looking at, um, you know, kids that are getting, or, or people that are getting, you know, loads given to them, it's like, you know, do you really deserve this? You know, oh, yeah. and, and it's like, you know, have a reality check. So I, I, I have a no nonsense um, approach and, and, you know, you, what you see is what you get. And if you don't like it, Fuck off! Yeah, yeah. You know, that, yeah, absolutely. That, that, and and so, so it's like you, you know, I've I've seen so much over the last twenty seven years or, or twenty eight years of my 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 coaching career and my two years of, of trying to play. It's yeah. Like I'm just not interested. It's, yeah, yeah. it's not for me. And what do and what do people get? So if we go back to ninety seven, were you were you were people bringing you in for your tennis knowledge, for your, for your fitness knowledge? How did that start? Did you start that journey as a tennis coach with Wayne or, or on the physical side? Yes, yeah, so I, started that, I started that journey with Wayne on, on the, pure and simple on the physical side. So the whole okay. of 97, I was a strength and conditioning coach. Okay. And actually, you know, an example of me as a person is, is like, I started with him in Scottsdale. And he, he went Scottsdale first round loss, Indian Wells first round loss. He lost to a guy called Gustavo Kurtz. And I was like, who the fuck is this guy? I mean, he is yeah. just garbage, right? <laughs> then, he, then he went to uh, Miami. He lost uh, first round to Philip Pusis. Then we went to um, Estoril. He, he lost first round, I can't remember. He lost first round in Estoril, first round Barcelona, first round Monte Carlo. He lost nine first rounds in a row. And I actually walked up to him and I said, Wayne, I, I'm, going to, I'm, I'm going to quit. I said, because it must be me. It must be me. I, I must be doing something wrong. Yeah. And the character of that guy is like, Buzz, you've done nothing wrong. Everything you've done is to the T. It's me. I need to yeah. sort my head out. And he okay. then went into um, uh, Hamburg. He won, Hamburg. He, he won a round in Hamburg. He beat, he beat, he beat Alberto Martin first round in Hamburg, lost second round. Then he had a week off because that's, that's how it was in those days. And then he had the French Open. And then the French Open, he played, um, he played a Swedish guy, he's played a Swedish guy first, first round, Tilstrom. He played Tilstrom first round, lost, in, he beat him in five. Yeah. Second round, he beat Roberta Caratero, who'd won Hamburg the year before. Yeah. Beat him in five. And then in the third round, he, I can't remember who he played. Uh, anyway, he won his third round. And so in the fourth round, he was playing quarter. And the quarter was on, um, on center court. And this is, an, this is an amazing story. So he, 
on the Friday, so he was playing quarter on the middle Saturday. So on the Friday, he was practicing on the outside court. He said to me, Foz, don't, don't bother coming out. Um, I'll be all right. So I went, I had a gym workout because I like working out in the gym. Believe it or not, look, I'm, a, I'm probably fat, but it's fine. But I, I, I love working out in the gym. So it's one thirty in the afternoon. I then get a message, get, get to the training room. So I run to the training room. He's rolled his ankle, right? So they gave him 30% chance of playing Wimbledon that year. So we did all the rehab and everything going into, going into uh, Wimbledon, getting up at six, going to Hammersmith with a great physio guy called Tom Williams. Uh, at, at, that t at the time, it was Bymar Clinic, which actually Lady Di and Will Carling used to meet there back in the day. But we, we had a you know, really good line uh, build-up. He managed to play Wimbledon, made third round, lost to Pierlene. Pierlene that year made final. Um, the following year, so 1998, he's on Susan Longlong on that middle Friday, playing Marcelo Rios, 1.30 in the afternoon, he rolls his ankle again. So, so, I mean, the irony of that happening exactly middle Friday of, uh, of both weeks, roughly the same time, it was just incredible. And then he ended up having knee, uh, ankle surgery uh, later that year. But um, yeah, so, so, you know, going back there, I mean, obviously that first year was, was I, I was mainly doing, I was, was doing a strength and conditioning. Him and Donny Visser parted ways at the end of that 97 year. And then I ended up coaching him 98, 99 and uh, to US Open 2000. Kieran, these, these guys that obviously they've played unbelievable level and are fantastic athletes. Just in your experience of being, you know, playing from satellites into challengers, ATP level, and to the players that you're working with today, what, what do you find the, the, the big difference from the, the physical training of these players from, you know, from a satellite level, let's say, right up to, to the top uh, pros on, a, on the ATP circuit? Uh, affordability. Number one, so the the people on the ATP tour can can afford to have somebody there twenty four seven fifty two weeks of the year, um, and athletic ability is 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 obviously one of the big ones. So, now give an example. I I worked with Tim for four years, and if there was, I could do twenty weeks in a row with Tim, and then if there was a week that I wasn't with Tim and I set him a program to do and I, you know, saw him the week after and I go, Tim, did you do it? He would go, well, no, but that's why I hire you. <laughs> that's why I hire you to make sure that you do it. You know, but, you know, he had that nat natural athletic ability, but um, yeah, I mean, I'm mean, sure there's, I'm, I'm sure there's loads of people on, on the, on the lower tiers of the tour that, that, that have that same athletic ability or the ability to do stuff, but it, it's affordability. Yeah. You know, so yeah. it's different if, John, if you can say to somebody, I'm, I'm only going to pay for you 10 weeks a year, somebody's saying, I'm going to pay you 40 weeks a year, then the, the difference in terms of output is going to be a lot, bit, a lot better. Yeah. And, and, and the, the, the nutritional side of the game as well has obviously has changed a lot. Um, do you think with players, uh, look at the likes of Djokovic there, has changed a lot in, in his own diets. Um, is that an area that you feel uh, players, uh, particularly tennis players, um, are getting better with? John, I don't think it's changed a lot. I think what's happened is that the social media and the internet um, has, has brought it to the forefront of people's minds. But I think in, in terms of what people eat and what, how, how they approach the game, has, mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't think that's changed that much. I, I think, you know, if you look, say, for example, Sampras, Sampras won, what was it? seven, nine, nine Wimbledons, he would have waffles in the morning. That was a staple breakfast, you know? So I think when, when you look at it or you have observations in terms of what people do and, and, and how they eat and what, I don't, I don't think it's changed that much. And I, I, I always, I always say with nutrition, nutrition isn't, is not a science, it's an art. And what I mean by that is working with the individual that you're working with, you, understand what makes that clock tick and you know what you know everybody's metabolic rates different everybody's dna is different every you know, and and so by trying different things that um 
and by making mistakes, you then, you then get to what is the right recipe for that individual athlete. So Djokovic eats dates. Does that mean every, everyone has to eat dates? You know, no. so, so a, great, a, great, a great example, a great example of what you're saying is uh, when uh, Craig O'Shaughnessy said, you can have 5% of the top 100 convinced, the other nine, 95%, that's the right way to do it. Remember that. Because it's, it's the same, it is across the board. It's across the board. You can have 5% of that top 100 population convinced the other 95% this is what you need to eat. So Djokovic, if Djokovic is eating dates on changeovers, what, we all need to eat dates? It used to be bananas, didn't it? It used to be Boris Becker eating bananas. And then bananas, banana sales went up like tenfold across the country. So, 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 so what, what I always say is, is that everybody, everybody is unique, everybody's individual, but don't, don't fall in that trap of what the top 5% do and that, oh my God, that, that's the holy grail, that's what we need to do. Yeah. For me, that's a crock of shit. Yeah, no, I, I agree in my with opinion. that. Yeah, yeah, no, in my opinion. It's, it, it's like you, you as an individual coach, you as an individual nutritionist, buy into what you think is right for that individual and nail it and then, and then uh, execute it. Yeah. Fozzie, to take you back a little bit, you've, you've been a tennis player, all right, not, not the highest level by your, by your own words, yeah. and, then, and then you've been a tennis coach. You've then, you've then kind of hit the ground running as an S&C coach. Since that day, have you then been pigeonholed as that? Is that and is that what you wanted to do as well? Um, it was frustrating at the start. I think um, yeah. you know. Uh, so w when I went with Tim uh, exclusively, so I worked with Tim and Wayne for a year. So I was I was covering both um, the, the tennis and and the um, strength and conditioning. But when I went with Tim and I was pigeonholed as a strength and conditioning coach. Yeah. Um, that worked in my favor um, because obviously when I finished with Tim, David Felgate became the performance director of the, the LTA and I had an opportunity to, to head up the strength and, like head of strength and conditioning at the LTA. So it worked, it worked as my in my favor at that moment in time, but it also um, worked against me in terms of, what I could offer, you know, individuals or groups of players. Um, but I think as the years have gone, gone along in terms of my, my philosophy of what strength and conditioning needs to be done with, with tennis players. Um, my, my, my philosophy is also like moving it onto the court and the functional, the functional movement and how, yeah. how do you get functional movement? Yeah. And so, you know, you can, you can have the best strength and conditioning coach in the world who's going to make you make your 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 player really strong in the gym but doesn't have the tools to hit with them or move them around on the court or feels uncomfortable having that conversation with a tennis coach and actually yeah. saying to that tennis coach you know i need you to do this this and this and then the other way around the tennis coach having that respect for that fitness coach yeah yeah and 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 so i think I think where, where I sit is that I hope that the tennis coaches have respect for me and I have respect for the tennis coaches that I can also talk to them on a level where they, you know, they get it. Um, and if I disagree, I can have a conversation with them that, yeah. that they, in, in an intellectual conversation from a tennis perspective that they, they get as well. Yeah. So I feel like I sit in a, in a, in a good position, in a unique position. Yeah, no, absolutely. Because it's, po it's pointless getting stronger and more powerful in the gym if you can't transfer it into, into movement on the court. You know, and I think, and, and I think that's where a lot yeah. of players do fall down. I, I, I certainly over the years have seen players get their numbers up in the gym and, and look stronger and look more powerful, but then not be able to transfer it into, into the movement on the court. Yeah, and, 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 and the, answer, the answer of that is, what is transferable? What, what are the transferables? Yeah. And, and, and then being able to hold the strength and conditioning coach accountable for those transferables. Yeah. 
Yeah. It, 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 would be, it would be wrong for a strength and conditioning coach to say, um, you know, your player had, a, you know, max power of 450 watts and we've now got it to 900 watts. But what, do, what does that mean in terms of on, on tennis? Yeah. Because no, I would rather say if your max power is 900 watts, but if you could average it out at 600 watts, but you could average that out for uh, five hours, yeah. then you've got yourself a good athlete. Yeah, but, yeah. You know, rather than saying, well, he's got 900 watt output, but he can only do that for a set, or he can only do that for nine games or eight games. Yeah. So I think, I, I think the, the conversation... And I always use this analogy because Mourinho, Jose Mourinho with, with, with football, he always said from day one, they always lace up their football boots and they do their fitness on the football field. Yeah. That was his philosophy. And I worked with Petr Cech from, uh, as a Chelsea goalkeeper um, when he came back from the neural head injury. And, you know, I got some insight into what Mourinho's mentality was. But it kind of made sense. But don't get me wrong. You need that strength side. But Mourinho was like, if you want that strength side, do it. But when you, when, with Chelsea at the time, it was like field and it's functional. It's yeah, all, yeah. you know, with football boots on. You don't, you, don't, you, you, know, you don't score a goal with football boots doing the bilateral squat. Don't get me wrong. You need a bilateral squat. Yeah. But it's that transition from what that bilateral squat output is into on, on – in, into uh, on, onto a tennis court. Yeah. And, and Kieran, what would be your philosophy as a physical trainer? So, again, my philosophy is a little bit controversial, and thanks for bringing that up, John. So, um, I, use, I use the data that comes out of the gym. So, so if, if I'm looking at like a bilateral squat, you know, what their strength patterns are. So, what, you know, what is their... Um, max or, or relative to their body weight, what their max squat is. But how can I take that? And don't forget, a bilateral squat, in other words, a normal squat, is we never walk with two legs. We walk single movements. So it's like, how can we, how can we transfer that into functional movement? So yes, we need that for the players got stronger in the gym, but can we get them stronger in the court without breaking down? So how are we going to do that? Well, for me, it's like from functional. So it's like, okay, so now we need to start playing. We need to yep. start playing. We need to see where that strength element is and where he starts breaking down, if at all. So if we, if we are doing drills on the court and the strength and conditioning coach is there, and this is where I challenge the strength SNC coaches in tennis, they are scared to sit on the court and have a conversation with the tennis coaches. Yep. They hide in the gym. So get out of the gym, get on the tennis court, and how that transferable, how, how does that transfer onto the court? And not just say to the coach, oh, we've got him stronger in the gym, here he is. Yeah, yeah. That doesn't work. There's a transition. Absolutely. And, and the transition is key. Yeah. So one, one question I have for you, Vozzy. Would you feel, would you feel comfortable coaching a top tennis player now from a tennis perspective? Hundred percent. Yeah. Hundred percent. I have no, no no issues no issues with that at all. Um, not not that they would want me, or not that they would hire me. But but I think I I, I cross so many different facets of the game that, and also based on the experience that I've had, I think I think they could listen and relate. But I, yeah, I have no interest. I, I have no interest. I have no no hesitation saying yeah, I can do that. And from a, from a, I guess, tactical side, when you're, when you're watching Tim, you're watching Dan, if something comes to the forefront of your mind, is that a conversation that you will have in this instance with Hiltz on Dan? Yes. So, so I know my place, right? So I know my place in the food chain. And, um, you know, it's obviously not my first rodeo. So if, if there was something that I, 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 thought that I saw, I'd always uh, take it through Hilt, and yeah. then Hilt would, would either take it on board or not. And yeah. he, he, you know, Hilt is a good guy, so he'd either go, yeah, I saw that, or actually, yeah, thanks for bringing that to my attention. Yeah. Um, but I'd never, ever, ever, ever go that way to Dan. Yeah. yeah. Never. Not in a million years. Yeah. No, absolutely. That, 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 that is the fast track to getting fired. Yeah, yeah. 
you know, and that's what happens with so many SNC coaches. They, 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 they think they know the game. Yes, I know the game, and I understand the game, and I know what I'm talking about, but I would, I, I would always respect my, where I am in the food chain in terms of team. So, so would you say that's something that some SNC coaches do do? Oh, 100%, yeah. Yeah, yeah, 100%. They, 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 will go, they, they, they will go that way to get to the player. Because it also, if you remember, a lot of the time, it's like a lot of the SNC coaches may be doing massage at the same time. So they're spending an hour on that body, and the tennis player may be venting. And instead of them just getting it or understanding it and absorbing that information, because all that player is doing is venting, they may be looking for solutions to the problem, and that's where they go wrong. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I can I can, I can see that happening. Yeah, I've seen that. I've seen that. You know, yeah. time and time and time and time. Yeah, yeah. Because we spoke, we spoke to Will Herbert, who obviously Will's the physio of of Kyle. He, he was on my trip in 1997. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you mentioned him earlier. You mentioned him earlier. But he he was saying that as well. And 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 I guess my my take. I've, I've not been around as long as you, but players do tend to open up more to physios and S and C coaches than they do tennis coaches because they're in those kind of quiet times, stretching, chilling out, you know, massage. It is a time that's probably a little bit more personal. And, right. and, and obviously what we were talking about with Will was, you know, the, the danger of getting too close to the player as well, you know, which I think some people cross that line. There's no danger of getting close to the player. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Like, be a sponge, soak the information. Don't, yeah. don't give that player the solution. Yeah, as soon as you start the solution, you've, you've crossed that boundary. Yeah. And it's the same thing, like, like on many, like with Wayne, you know, with Wayne, I was young when I worked with Wayne and we, we ended up going out together, partying together. And then that professional boundary was lost. Yeah. Lost. And it's on that, it's, you know, it's, you, you have to know where you sit. Yeah. So like, for example, with Eva, I'd go, I'd go out for dinner with Eva. But if Eva's like, yeah, we're going on a night out, no chance. Yeah, yeah. You're a chance because because you 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 lose those professional boundaries. Yeah. You cannot do that. And I learned that I learned that early on from Wayne. Now that you're on talking about Evo and it's it's probably the fittest I've seen him. Probably the best shape I've seen him, you know, um in I don't know many years. What what what's been the change? What's been the big uh the big change in in, in his training? He's working the fucking guru. What do you expect? <laughs> no, I'm joking. <laughs> um, uh, no, I think I think I think the biggest change for him is, um, I think the ban for a year or the nine months did in the world of good in terms of l reflecting from the outside in, rather than being in in. And he he reminds me a lot of Tim. You know, when I worked with Tim, he. You know, you, you know, you give him um, a program, and you know he'll dot the i and cross the t's on the program. There's there's no shortcuts at all on the program. Um, he works his tail off. He understands there's a window of opportunity, and um, he's got total buy-in. And I think I think there's, and I hope there's a little bit of respect in terms of obviously from what I've done um, to to what I'm proposing that he does. And interesting, interesting enough, you know, I spoke, I spoke with uh, Keno earlier. It's, it's like my training techniques haven't changed that much over the last 20 years. It's what you believe in. It's, it's your belief. It's, it's, it's like, what are your philosophies? Yeah. The only thing that's changed with my philosophies is, is like the injury prevention, uh, the, the correction on what they do to, to maximize the longevity of their career. But you've got a guy here that, that you know, in, 15 weeks that I've worked with him, he has not missed one day. If I've told him to do X, Y, and Z every single day, he's done it. It's not one day he's missed. And, and so, you know, he's got total buy-in and, and, and the, um, the fruits in his labor. Yeah. And what's changed, what's changed if, what has changed between tra training Tim? I know you say the similarities, but what has changed between training Tim and training Dan? Sports science, sports science. So, so, so basically, I think I think you've got a lot of trainers that hide behind sports science. Yeah. And 
you 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 have to use as a, as a trainer you have to use the sports science as knowledge to you to you to understand but is that going to change your training stimuli that you're going to prescribe to that player why would it why would it because you, you the players know they know day in day out they have to work hard yeah right so if you've all of a sudden got a gadget telling you that um your your intermittent heart rate beats are telling you that you need to have a rest day today so we know actually we know we had this plan for you but we're going to take it easy what when you're in a grand land are you going to just turn around to the referee and go well the intimate heartbeats here are telling us we need to have an easy day can, can we actually yeah. change the schedule so he plays tomorrow and not today yeah. or she plays tomorrow not today it's bullshit yeah. so, so it's also it's also when your body's tired yes you have to dig deep yeah. you know you have to dig deep you have to, you have to look for that other gear that that, that may not be there because that's what's going to happen in grand slam do you have to be smart about it yes of course you do of course you have to be smart about it yeah. But don't tell the player you've got a day off. Yeah. Don't tell the player, oh, we're only going to hit for 20 minutes because that's what Whoop tells us or, or that's what the intermittent heart rate is, is telling us from, from Catapult. It's like, yeah. hell, guys. Yeah. It's yeah. like, you know, at the end of the day, you know, you have to, you, male or female, you have to put the work in. From yeah. a coaching, yeah. from, from an S&C point of view, and that's what Eva said to me. He said, I'm not interested in you telling me the data from Catapult. I'm not interested in all of that. If you need that, tell Keep it to yourself and then, you know, change your, your, your exercise prescription or, or change what you're going to do according to that. But don't tell me that, oh, because what Catapult said, I, I need to only hit 30 minutes today. That's bullshit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And you have to be careful. Yeah. And, too, and, and too, much, too, uh, too much knowledge is dangerous. Too much yeah. knowledge is dangerous. Yeah. And even from a coaching point of view. If you start getting into the knowledge of coaching and, and, and what, they, what they're fitting you now, you'd be an absolute screwball. You wouldn't know what to do. And I, agree with that. I agree with that. If you stand by your beliefs, Dan Kinnan and John, if you stand by what your beliefs are and you go with it, that's what, that's what makes you the person you are. And a prime example of this is Nigel Sears. Nigel Sears worked for the LTA for, God knows, 20 odd years. He then worked with Amanda Kutzer, who was nine in the world, didn't have a great year. Amanda Kutzer went backwards, they, they, they parted ways. Then he worked with a girl, and I can't remember her name, but he was like, no, she's going to be top 100 in a year. She ended, up, she ended up going to college in the States. He then went to Slovakia, ended up working with a girl who was 60-odd in the world, Daniela Hanjakova. Got Daniela to fall in the world, all of a sudden we've got the best bridge coach on the female side in the world. His philosophy didn't change. Yeah. Right? He was a hard, he's hardworking, he's dedicated, He's motivated, but it all comes down to, if, you know, if you've got the raw material, you can produce something from that. Yeah. It's like saying you can't make a donkey a racehorse. Impossible. Yeah. Impossible. From a physical side, how much of it is nature and how much of it is nurture? I mean, I've gone through this time and time again. I think, I think it's nature, you know, because if it's nurture, it's, it's like, so, so the philosophy, the philosophy for me is nurture. It's like, okay, so, Let's just say what you can take somebody now and do 10,000 hours on the forehand, backhand, serve, volleys, blah, 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 and they're going to be a great player. Whereas, whereas I, think nature, I think nature is that you've got that raw material. So Roger Federer, for me, is nature. The, yeah. guy, the, guy, the guy's a phenomenal athlete. He's, he's obviously, yes, he's, he's um, been introduced to the sport of tennis, but you can't, you can't change that. It's like Dan Evans. Dan Evans is a great mover. Wayne Ferreira, great mover. Tim Hammond, a great mover. Three people I've worked with are great movers, right? What I'm going to do, make them better movers? Yes, 100%. Yeah. Neil Broad. Neil Broad was a donkey on the court. He got to top 100. But can I make him, can I make him as good a mover as Tim Hammond, Wayne Ferreira, and, and Dan Evans? Impossible. It's impossible. Yeah. It's impossible. Can I make him as fast as he can be in, in that I'm saying donkey, I mean, he's a better player than a donkey. Don't get me wrong. But as a donkey mover, I can yeah. make him the best donkey, but he's still a donkey. Yeah. But how many people, I guess, how many people do reach their potential in terms of physicality, in terms of skill, in terms of tactical mouse? And I think that's, that's the bit for me. And when it, when it comes down to whether us as tennis coaches, S&C coaches, sports psychologists, what, whatever it is, our, our goal is to 
to change that curve. You know, I think everyone's got a natural way that they're going. Like I always use Andy Murray as an example. Any of us could have coached Andy Murray to top 10 in the world. You know, it, it, it wouldn't have mattered who it was. But who's helped him win a Grand Slam? Which maybe maybe shifted that curve a little bit. And I think that's what we've got to keep aiming for. And obviously that's what you're doing a great job of everyone as well. I think there's a little bit, little bit difference because, it, it, you know, if you use that analogy of, of, of say, um, you know, Paul Anacone, if you take Paul Anacone, he worked with Sampras and, you know, Sampras won a lot of grand slams. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw us out, out this. Did he do an unbelievable job with the LTA? Yeah. You know, did, 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 you know we, we hired all of a sudden this guy that's won grand slams with Pete Sampras. But I think Keno or, or John, yeah. you could work with Pete Sampras and won a grand slam. Yeah. We never know. But yeah, what yeah. I'm saying to you is that all of a sudden he's at the LTA. But what, did, did he perform wonders? Yeah. It's also different skills, isn't it? I think, and I think that's one of the big errors that we make in tennis as well is we go someone who's got good coaching skills and can develop. So if I even take my academy, I know I've got a couple of fantastic coaches in terms of developing players at certain ages, but they can't manage for shit. <laughs> so, yeah. so don't put them in a management role and I think I think we've done that and I, I don't even know exactly what Anacone's role was but I know that what we tend to do because management roles pay more money we tend to take someone who's had success so something like even let's take Dave Felgate Dave's worked with Tim Henman and then all of a sudden okay now let's put him in charge of the whole of performance for British tennis the, 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 it's a different skill set and I agree with that. I mean, I, I, I mean, I'm sure David would agree. Probably in hindsight, it was the wrong role for him. Um, you know, you know, but but you know, he was given the opportunity and and, and he gave it a go. I think. I, 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 well, I, just, I, I think I think someone like say say for example, with you know Annika and Gilbert, where you know lots of lots of you know finances were put into them. I think Gilbert was a disaster. Yeah. You know. You know. And Andy left him after a year, and then he worked with Bogo, and that was a disaster. Yeah. Um, I know, I, I know. Eva would say that Anacone was good for him at the time, but in terms of what we trying to, what we were trying to achieve at the time, was 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 that money well spent? And then going to your point, it's like when you have all these people that are in these roles, it's like. You know, would they be better at, say, talent ID? Looking, looking at what what are the talented, the most talented kids that we can try and keep in the sport, or were were they best served at the top? I, I, it's a it's a rhetorical question. Yeah. But it, it, yeah. Why was Gilbert so poor? I, I think I think there's there was an element of ego in, in that. I think I um I, I I think personality clash with Andy. I don't know for a fact. Um. But then, you know, when he carried on and he worked with Bogo um, after that, I mean, that was a disaster. So whether that, again, was a personality clash or not. But my point being is that, you, you know, you, you don't have to pay the big dollars to have the right people in place. What you need to do is pay the big dollars or, or the right dollars for the, the people that are going to work 52-7 and not, you know, 30, 30 weeks on and 20 weeks off. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I actually think Leon's a good example of this for Davis Cup captain. I remember when Leon got given the the job, it was like, who the hell's Leon Smith? And, and in fairness to Leon, one thing that he was, he was relatable to most of the players, you know, and yeah. I think he was able to build a relationship with Dan. He was able, obviously, he had a relationship with Andy and, he, and he's been able to to do a great job of then using his skill set, which is maybe managing people, to then bring in better people who have maybe got more knowledge, who are then able to, to, to do the coaching. And I think when we're talking about a, a federation or, or an academy or any team, it's about getting the right people in, in the right positions. Do you see British tennis doing that better now, Kieran? Um, I mean, the landscape's changed. I think... I think um... Do I think they're doing that better? I, I think I think I think British tennis has got way way too much sports science. Yeah, um, and you can even see that from the hiring of the performance director, uh, Michael Bourne. Um, I think uh, Timson Timson was was about 
putting systems in place. Not maybe I'm not saying this is right or wrong, but but he didn't have a relationship with the players. Yeah. Um, he he didn't have a tracksuit. He wasn't on the court. He was very much an administrator. Yeah. And I think just just from the the, the way they're going, it, it, I think from talking to the majority of the players, I I think they would like to see somebody more on court. You know, creating those relationships, somebody with a tennis brain. Yeah. Um, being being able to talk to them about tennis and tennis club being feel comfortable talking to them about tennis um, and not hiding, not hiding behind science. And I think, I, I, I just think that, yeah, you've got to be careful. There has to be a balance. Yeah. But I think, I think, I th I, in my opinion, I think British tennis has gone way too much towards science. Yeah. Can you give us an example of hiding behind science? Yeah. Without names being mentioned, I mean, the, the, course, the, yeah. catapults and, and the, the, they'll, they'll, they'll have catapult readings and then tell the player, well, based on the catapult readings, you need to have a lighter day today. Yeah. Um, and, or, you know, the player may go, well, I feel great. Yeah. Um, or, 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 or they may go, um, you know, they, they've got other uh, RPEs that they used, uh, which is rate of perceived exertion. You know, how did you feel? And then they'll be like, oh, no, no, I'm going to have an easier day. I also think that, you know, to a certain degree from observation, it's, it's too much of a nine to five job. Yep. And I think if you're working, working in performance, which is the beauty of performance, you could work 12 days in a row, but you may have four days off. Yep. Um, you know, and I think it's, you know, a little bit more of a nine to five, you know, they, they quick out the door at 4.30 or 4.45 gone, yep. you know, and, and there's not potentially the personnel. It's getting better, don't get me wrong, uh, yep. from where they were, but, you know, the personnel that should be there, you know, an hour before, the first practice to an hour after the last practice in terms of like a protocol. Yeah, it's an, um, above, a, it's an above and beyond world, isn't it? To, yeah, it is. To, I mean, if you choose, if you choose to work, if you choose to work in performance, the sacrifice is within the name. The yeah. sacrifice is, is like, you know, you, you're first in, you're last out and, you know, basically um, your days off don't fall on a Saturday, Sunday. Yeah. Your days off fall when your days off fall. So it may be while the players are having Monday, Tuesday off. So you're off. Yeah. But you, you know, you you have the upside and the downside, and 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 so I think I think that that that's something that needs to be addressed with within British tennis at 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 the high level. In my opinion, I may be wrong, but again, it's, again, from my perspective, it's it's, it's an observation. Where do you think where do you think Andy Murray fits into all of this when it comes to British tennis and the impact that he has had, can have, will have? Yeah, I mean the the impact that Andy's had on the game, let's just say the game in general is is immense. Um, I think, you know, I've spoken to him a little bit, you know, over the last couple of months, and when I say a little bit, quote unquote, a little bit, um, he's embraced British tennis. Not that he's never has before. I think he's got closer to the players. Um, the Battle of the Brits was immense in terms of, you know, the support he brought and, you know, just, just things like, you know, in the team event on the first Monday, give an example, you know, he was in, he was in the Union Jacks team, which, which Dan was, so obviously I was involved in that. But on the Monday afternoon, you know, he, he went home put his kids to bed, came back and watched the last match, whereas Joe Conta played her first match and then left the building. Yeah, yeah. You know, so, so, so there, there's a contrast in, in two people, but I'm not saying what Joe did was wrong, but I'm just, that's a fact, that's observation. But, you know, Andy, Andy brought into the team culture, the banter was there. Um, it was a lot of fun. Um, and yeah, yeah, I think he's, he's got closer to, to a lot of the players. Um, yeah, he's, yeah, he's, you know his humor. His, his humor is hilarious, and you know, yeah, he's got good banter, and you know, yeah. but, you know, that's. You think incredible. he has a has a positive effect on Dan? Massively, yeah. I think he has a positive effect on on any British player. Um, yeah. You know, you, you look up to him for what he did and what what he's continuing to doing. You know, even now, you know, you know, he's had the surgery. He hasn't played a competitive match on the ATP tour this year and, you know, he's in the third round of Cincinnati. I mean, it's, it's great effort to beat, you know, Zabrev, 
you know, fair play to the guy. You know, he works hard. He's diligent. Shannon Mack does an unbelievable job, you know, with the rehab. Matt Little, um, who I've known for, you know, 20-odd years, is brilliant. Obviously, he's working with Delgi. Um, you know, he's a really good team. They're dedicated. They, they're very loyal. And that, that speaks volumes. No, no, absolutely. And, and if we go into Dan a little bit, and, and also you with Dan, obviously it's a strange time right now. I guess you might have been in New York if you were, you were able to be. Yeah, I mean, I would have been, I would have been there su- subject to um, the restraints on, you know, yeah. number of rooms per team and, yeah, the hotel, et cetera, et cetera. But, um, you know, I sent data. Dan had a 40-page document in preparation, you know, going into Cincinnati and I've got to send them something for, for tomorrow and, and Thursday. So, um, you know, he'll, he's fine. He's up to speed. I mean, you can't kind of reflect on yesterday's match in terms of where he's at and what he needs to do. He's, he's done all his homework. You know, it's it's just basically, it was a shit match yesterday. You know, we've got somebody serving up a mountain, you get no rhythm, you know. Yeah. You look at one break at set, and it's game over. Yeah, no, absolutely. That and that's the for those listening. That was the Rowanich match in Cincinnati, because this might be going out a couple of days, couple of days after. And can you give us a little insight into what the preparations look like for Dan going into the US Open the last couple of weeks? Yeah, so um, we we basically did. You know, when I say we, obviously him. Um, you know, he flew out on, on the Tuesday, I think it was the 14th or 15th of August. Um, and he started on the Wednesday. So he did, you know, he did the Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then he went into the biosecure area on the, on the Saturday. So, you know, I said, him like lots of circuit training to do, um, on court movement to do, which, which I do for my work rest ratios, which, which obviously Hills did, um, cause I'm not there hitting, um, Loads of loads of functional functional core movements, core work, um, and then he went into a maintenance program going into the tournament, um, which he carried on till he lost yesterday. He's having a day off today, so then tomorrow we'll do a heavy cardio and core session. On Thursday he'll do a weights core session, and then on Saturday um, Saturday Sunday he will do maintenance, and then subject to the draw coming out where he's going to fit in and, and, and yeah. start his um, campaign. But I think, I, I just think also, you know, early on in, in, in a draw round, each first round, uh, second round is tough, tough, tough forever. Yeah, no, absolutely. But he, he, he's, uh, he's in a, he's in a good place. He's world, he's world number 28, which a lot of people wouldn't have given him a chance of. And he's, he's now got a chance to go and go and make a career for himself the next five or six years. You know, it's, a, it's an exciting time to, to be involved in it. I would, I would say. Um, moving into our little quick fire round, Vozzy, to finish off. It's been, it's been fantastic catching up with you. Um, you know, someone who's given so much, so much to the sport and got so many fantastic opinions. I'm sure you're going to be honest in this quick fire round as you always are. Are you ready for it? Far away, let's go. Nature or nurture? Nature. Davis Cup or ATP Cup? Davis Cup. Running or bike? Running. Five minute warm up on the court pre match or not? None. Tim or Dan? Oh, 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 oh. oh my word! Um, they're, like, they're, they're like twins. Um, their character and everything—it's—it's it's unbelievable. Um, can I get tan? <laughs> hey, who's paying you? Who's paying your bill right now? <laughs> Sports. Well, both, both, both great to work with, by the way. I mean, yeah. exemplary, exemplary scholars. Great. Sports science or hard work? Hard work. Injury timeout or not on the court? None. A longer pre-season or is it okay as it is? Longer. longer. It, it must be a big, that's got to be a big one when you're working with someone physically, huh? It's yeah, crazy. I think, I think, I think, you know, the pre-season right now is, is, is bullshit. I mean, you know, yeah. you know, if you're playing everything till, you know, end of middle, middle end of November, the, the, I, ideally you would need 
season to finish middle of October. Yeah. Give the players two, two to three weeks off where they can regenerate, take time away from the game, just not think of tennis, and then get them back either first or second week of November, and then go through to the end of end of December, and then get cracking on the season beginning of January. That for me would be the ultimate. Uh, do you think um, we'd have we'd have less injuries if that happened? Um. The less injuries comes down to, in my opinion, is the robust injury prevention programs that they have throughout the year, not in that period of time. Because, right, okay. because if, you, if, you, if you've got those seven, eight weeks where, where you're doing your, your preparation for the following year, it's like you don't know how many matches are going to play the next year. You can assume that they're going to play X amount of matches. But you've got to have a robust program and understand the individual that you're working with body. Yeah. And if you understand that body and you, and you can put in the injury prevention, the correctional uh, exercises that you can do on a daily basis, you've hit a home run. Yeah. Yeah, very good. And last one, one rule change that you would have in tennis? Uh, no warm-up. Just get out there from, like, college tennis. Do, do, yeah. do, do, do the toss um, and get, get the balls in your pocket and start serving. Like it. Tell us, as you've mentioned college, tell us a little bit about, about your college experience the last couple of years. Um, Baylor, I mean, Baylor's been great. I mean, it's a great, I mean, it's an amazing college. I've got amazing support staff um, with uh, leading from the top, which is Kenny Boyd uh, on the men's side and, and Javon on the, on, on the um, women's side and then the head coach, Joey, and, and now Michael Woodson. Uh, massive support, buying to what we're doing. Um, I like the college setup. I, I, you know, I like the fact that you can warm up up until, you know, yep. the doubles, flick the coin and then go. And then, you know, the guys that aren't playing doubles warm up for singles. And then as soon as it's ready, they go and, and, they, yep. and they play. So um, I think, you, you know, and I've, I've had massive, massive input into, you know, helping with athletic medicine in terms of like return to play protocols from overhead injuries or from, from, thigh strains, ankle strains or whatever. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I love it. Is that the first time you've been up close and personal with college tennis? Um, I, I had a st- I mean, I saw it a little bit with um, uh, when a friend of mine, Michael Dion, was at University of Florida in 93. That was yeah. a long time ago. But, yeah, this is, this is the first time it's up close and personal. Uh, and also working with uh, both men's and women's, which has been great. Yeah. Um, you know, getting getting a feel of both both programs and stuff, and you know the sport the everybody at Baylor's Baylor's great. Um, yeah. So, you know, and, and has it surprised you the professionalism, the the magnitude of it? It surprised me a lot in terms of in terms of also the human resource. Yeah. If you look at Baylor, they've got underwater treadmills, uh, hydrotherapy yeah. pools. Um, their athletic medicine is, you know at the top echelon of college sport, um, what they're trying to do, you know, with, with what they're trying to achieve is just, yeah, it's just phenomenal. Phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I'm lucky to be in a place where, where they offer that. Yeah, I mean, even 20 years ago when I was at LSU, I, I broke my foot. So I was going through all the rehab process. Were you put loose? <laughs> I'll, not, I'll not tell you what I did to break my foot, but it was, it was incredible. And then I remember going back and going to the Brit- British Olympic Medical Centre and it was chalk and cheese in terms of the facilities. And that was just one, one college of, of many that are in the States. It's, yeah. it's amazing to see. Yeah, no, I, I, I mean, I, I agree. I mean, Baylor's got Premier League facilities, luckily. Yeah. Absolutely, Fozzie, you've been a star. Great catching up, mate, and uh, keep up the keep up the great work. Thanks, mate. And hopefully, we'll connect soon. Take care. Take care. Thanks, Fozzie. Bye bye. A big thank you to Kieran Vorster. Fantastic, like like I said at the start, insight into into yeah the real world. You know whether. Whether you believe in the same things as Kieran or not, he, he's been there, he's done it, and brings a, a fantastic, strong philosophy to, to what he does, which is so important for us as coaches in all fields that we, we do what we believe. You know, I think too many of us can be influenced by other people out there, 
you know, we can compare ourselves to people. And Kieran's now had a career at the top end of the game for 25, 30 years because he believes in something. You know, that's what he does. That's what he hangs his hat on. And I think it's a great lesson for us all to learn. So hope everyone enjoyed. I am going to put, I took a little bit of editing to get a couple of the additional noises and funny takes. So I am going to, at the end of this outro, if you want to hear, I'm going to put a little small clip at the end, which I hope you enjoy. And it puts a smile on your face because after all, we're here to try and energize you guys, educate you guys and entertain you. Thank you for following. I'm Dan Keenan. My co-host is John McGann. We are Control the Controllables. Listen again. <laughs> the, dog, the dog is killing me, man. The dog is killing me. See, you just, you just need to go back.